Hello and welcome to Sonic Sketchbooks. I'm your host, Gary Warner. Sonic Sketchbooks is an offering of sound art, art music and field recordings, mostly drawn from my decades of using sound in art projects, film and video, performances, installations, public art and museum exhibitions. This week's program is an interview with artist Virginia Hilliard, who is a filmmaker, sound recordist, visual artist and teacher with early training in architecture and sculpture. Virginia has been making and exhibiting work since 1985 and her solo and collaborative works have been shown in cities and regional centres throughout Australia, Southeast Asia, Europe, the UK, North America and Canada. Virginia and I were organising members of the Sydney Super 8 Film Group in the 1980s and in the past decade we've presented sound art exhibitions together. I took a train out to Sydney's inner western suburb of Hurlston Park to meet with Virginia at her home and to ask her about her work with sound, particularly a series of international and local residencies and workshops she's undertaken in recent years. Yeah, I I was trying to pinpoint when my relationship with sound sort of sharpened or changed from, you know, just being in, in the world to really listening to some sense of that, um, a difference between hearing and listening. And there are two instances. One was when uh, I did two of those long meditation retreats and they're silent retreats it's called noble silence and so there's no speaking from the morning you start and for 10 days and then you break the silence on the 10th day and what I noticed was um, a level of hearing or listening and listening so there's no communication with other people verbally but also eye contact felt very invasive so I learned about people around me through listening to them someone shuffling slippers you know in the the mess hall at breakfast or listening to people you know their breathing or the sort of noises they'd make as they were dropping into a deeper meditation or um, they're rolling around in bed and snoring or sleep talking. It was a very interesting experience because it was like getting to know people but on a very different level. And then when we could talk, you know, that kind of um, really unique experience very quickly dispersed and we're kind of all back in the world. But something, something shifted for me with that. Продолжается посадка на форменный поезд номер 86, сообщение Новосибирск, Красноярск, 
And the other instance was when I learnt scuba diving and that that was an extraordinary experience because what I was hearing was my own breath, you know, through the respirator and of course bubbles and there was, so there was a connection for me between the breath, which is a focus through meditation and the sound of the breath. I guess noticing, you know, the gasping, <laughs> my gasping of air through the respirator. Finally relaxing when we got to the bottom and noticing my breath had calmed down. So there's that sort of noticing of fear through the sound of my breath. So I think they shifted something in me in terms of listening. sound in making Super 8 films in the 1980s. You had that experience of listening, of, of understanding uh, kind of an embodied distinction between hearing and listening. When did that sort of translate into a field recording practice? Mm. I had worked with sound with Super 8 film and it had actually always been ex very difficult. You know, I was so focused on the imagery and sound, it felt like it was a harder process for me. And 
I didn't, you know, have the skills in terms of track laying and uh, and I wasn't really recording my own sound hugely and I certainly wasn't kind of focused on, you know, field recording as a practice or anything like that. And I think the shift came um, when I was working on a, a longer film, again, a sort of experimental work, but something shifted um for some reason I had a much clearer idea of the sound that I would use in this particular piece and doing it myself so previously I'd often get people to come and help me with the sound or work on the sound with me but in terms of field recording I did a workshop out at Kudamandra at the Wide Lab with Douglas Quinn and he brought his experience of recording in the Antarctic, Werner Herzog's documentary shot in the Antarctic. That was the first time I kind of actively engaged in a field recording um, kind of milieu and or group, you know, or where people were focused on that doing a, um, a listening walk and listening, really listening to people's recordings and then being able to spend time in the field.
let's let's jump forward to Iceland then. Mm. And, uh, and and do you want to tell me about that experience? Mm. So Iceland was a field recording trip for a week. I think after doing the Wired Lab workshop, I just got on the web and just said field recording workshops. I sort of wanted more of it and loved being in the field and love, loved that process of setting up and sitting down and listening. And I mean, it took me a while to realize that I wasn't very good at listening. You know, it's a real skill and to do it in the field, they're real um, field techniques. So I found this workshop and it was running in Iceland and organized by wildlife um, video and sound mob in the UK. And it was being led by Jez Riley French and Chris Watson. And I'd read up on these guys and I'd certainly heard of Chris Watson. And I had, I think I had discovered, heard about Jez through the Wired Lab workshop and his microphones. So by this stage, I'd been using his contact mics and his hydrophones. So I had a number of those already had, you know, got those sent over to me, bought them from him. Yeah, I signed up and I actually got supported through my workplace to go. And it was only a week in Western Iceland. We were based near uh, a glacier, a glacial capped volcano. Um, yeah, when I got there, most people were from the UK. Um, I was the only Australian. There are a couple of folks from America uh, and Europe. And there was Jez and Chris, and there was a local sound artist also who was our sort of guy on the ground and local contact. So we drove around into, um, you know, minibuses. I think there were 16 of us all up and went and found locations. So there were caves. We found the mud pools, the thermal pools towards the end of the trip, lakes. And it was summer, so it it never got dark. So they were very, very long days. And some people kept recording through, you know, at at 11 o'clock at night, it was like it was a a five o'clock autumnal dusk in Sydney. So there was this strange sense to keep working. It was interesting because there were two kind of points of focus. Chris was very interested in recording birds and there were Arctic, a lot of Arctic terns. Um, they were nesting, they were very aggressive. And then there was Jez who was interested in working with his contact mics and hydrophones. And um, I was interested in the contact mic, in the, the sort of focus that Jez was bringing to it, which was um, miking up structures so we found some abandoned abandoned house and um, and sheds, and we recorded the steel guy ropes of this radio tower, the tallest structure in Northern Europe. It's an incredibly elegant 
very very skinny radio tower but has these massive guy ropes steel guy ropes so we could get to the guy ropes and we were sticking our contact mics over those and and that then that so that technique of setting up the mics and walking away there was a lot to be learned in terms of those field techniques I also noticed a lot of my recordings had movement of my clothes against the Gore-Tex sort of rubbing up against itself because, you know, having to rug up, even though it was summer. And actually also I realised how I was so excited to be there that I was not listening a lot of the time. There were a few moments where I really sank, could sink into the process. And unfortunately, that wasn't most of the time. You know, adrenaline was sort of running on this level of excitement and and distracted and wondering, what are they doing? Is that a better place to be over there? Or what's Chris doing? I want to be hearing more. You know, this... field recording FOMO. (laughs) That's right. Did you, have you worked with the material and sort of post-produced it? I have. So, um, yeah, I'll give you two of the pieces recorded on two different days in Iceland of the Radio Tower guy ropes. And they're very different. One actually picked up a broadcast and it was Iceland's National Day. So there's a lot of voices and talking in that beautiful kind of washed out radio tones coming through the wires and the other is this beautiful whining knocking um groaning sounds and both of those i've used in as soundtracks in a three screen video installation work using footage that i created from 16 millimeter film found footage 16 millimeter film series of recordings from Iceland were on the edge of a glacier and we could get to the edge of the glacier we didn't actually go up right to the top of it 
which was the the peak of this this volcano and we uh, I put my contact mics or hydrophones and probably my contact mics under the ice and was capturing that um, ice breaking up and melting. So I use those sounds in an installation, um, this sort of ice melting machine that I built and I had in the gallery, it was full of ice every day, so I had to keep topping it up with ice. I built it so that the ice was sitting in one drum, melting into another drum, and I put microphones throughout the whole process, so there were contact mics in the tray that was catching the water so you'd hear those drips dropping into this metal tray shallow water and my hydrophones were in the ice so they were picking up the cracking sound and then I had a shotgun mic over the whole thing just suspended over the whole thing so that was a live sound contraption and in the gallery for the opening people would come and put on a set of radio headphones so that that sound was live into their headphones but they could distance themselves they could walk around the space but still hear this machine ice machine this sort of process of the melting just while we were on the idea of the gallery installation you were talking before about the meditation experience and coming to know people through their non-language bodily sounds. You've used that as well, haven't you, that experience in another work? That work um, was a series of, I guess, sonic compositions that I cut together that was a mix between people snoring, sleeping and or snoring, or whatever sounds they made, and other location sounds, field recordings I collected, and that that actually came out came out of a period of travelling with a friend through Europe and having to share rooms and hearing her sleeping that really rested deep, whistly, hustly breathing that someone does when they're in a deep, restful sleep. 
and there was this incredible lightning storm thunderstorm this is in Germany we were in Kassel so I recorded it with both the, the storm and her breathing and that was the sort of trigger for this idea of bringing sound sources together with the thread running through it of these sleep you know friends and they were all friends I gave my friends a recorder and asked them if they'd fall asleep with it running beside them at night and so I ended up with a series of um sleeping recordings and then mixed it with different locations. And very poetic project and experientially as well because you had the the chaise lounges in the in the gallery space and headphones so that people would actually sort of become recumbent to then listen to that soundscape. Mm. So let's go now to your Russian experience or your or the journey there and um, how sound played a part in that. Uh, with a friend we'd um, been granted a, a one month residency in Kronstadt which is on an island just off um, in the bay uh, out of St Petersburg. Um, sort of in the Baltic Sea and we decided to catch a train uh, across to Russia from China so we boarded the train in Beijing and traveled through Mongolia Siberia and then across through many 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 time zones through to St Petersburg um, and then over to the island and the journey itself, the train journey and the stops we made in Mongolia and in Siberia. I did a little bit of sound recording, but I wanted to just try and absorb that experience, kind of unmediated. Mm. But it's, um, I don't know, for an artist, it's sort of impossible. <laughs> to do that.
and just being on the train you know when I got to the end of that six seven eight it was actually 11 days because of our stops but I felt I could just do that again right now I could just go back and do that again so with the residency then you didn't go there with any sort of intention you went there to develop work once you were there we pitched an idea and um, you know it's always a fiction when you pitch a project because you don't really know mm. and who would know what Kotlin Island would be like I certainly didn't know anyone who'd been there we had a 360 camera we both had phones that we'd upgraded our phones so we were working with mobile technologies and I had upgraded my sound recorder and bought so a stereo omni pair and I had my other mics you know contacts hydrophones shotgun and um, I think initially the idea was to do something around meditation in the end the focus became rather than someone with their eyes closed in this in the environment that they they were listening um, the thread between these locations would be someone within the environment that is listening, sitting in these locations that we found that interested us. We've actually made a, a VR work from that, um, and that's had a showing at New South Wales Uni. Um, we were able to work with the, the VR unit there, which was fantastic, and use their... Um, headsets and so forth but the idea of sound being able to shift one's attention to a different part of this 360 field is very exciting to me mm. to be able to to motivate attention through sound So what about then a project like your Hill End project? That was an early experience of field recording for me where my proposal to for the residency was to record the old miner's cottage that I was staying in and the garden, the sort of fruit trees and the garden. So that cottage had been built in 1872 and it was part of the gold mining community there in Hill End. And then in the early 20th century, it was the base for a push of artists from Sydney 
And so I was interested in this idea of sonic traces and if I mic'd up the fabric of that old building, what would I hear? And I went there with digital recorders but also analogue recorders, so an old Marantz tape recorder. And I was using um, both recorders at different points, trying, you know, picking up room tone. And so the project was called Room Tone. And I recorded in all the rooms, in different places. So in the, the second bedroom, which everyone said was haunted, which was not my experience, I, was, I put the mics in the wardrobe and on top of the wardrobe and under the bed. And in the living room, I put... I mounted a mic just at the back of the lounge chair where someone's head would have been, um, under floorboards, up in the ceiling cavity. And then in the garden, the mics were up in the fig tree or in the quince tree. And so getting a real sort of characters like the house and the garden became, they had voices. And at the same time, I was doing time-lapse Super 8 film in each of these locations. So I had the sound and vision from each location and the final work ended up this sequence of screen tests or something for each room sharing itself with the viewer. I guess in being able to set up the camera on time-lapse and walk away, set up the microphones, recording and walk away, you know, I'm kind of letting the house do its own thing, the garden do its own thing.
and there are a few recordings where I actually left my footsteps coming back in to turn it off um, because I like, yeah, I just like that sort of the sense of exposing the process. My strong sense of when I think about that project is there was a very curious sense of uh, the kind of tropes of, of the paranormal that um, it really felt like it was early 20th century but in that sort of ectoplasmic uh, kind of ideas about the, the other side. And Interesting you should say that, Gary, because the parents of Paul Heffliger, who was the um, journalist and art critic, married to Anne Bellet, and they, they were the ones that sort of established the cottage as an artist retreat and sanctuary. His parents uh, were German immigrants and the bookcases in the house were full of German tomes of spiritualism. So she was a Madame Blavatsky follower. So, one more thing for you to talk about. What would that be, do you think? I'm thinking of the more recent work that came out of a week conference and field trip with this group that I've kind of more recently joined, the Australian Wildlife Sound Recording Group. Very skilled, knowledgeable group of enthusiasts and um, scientists, ecologists, uh, artists focused on wildlife sound recording. It appears mainly birds, but not not only birds. Um, so we're up at north of Newcastle for a week, and Douglas Quinn was the the guest again. So that was a really lovely kind of reconnection back with Doug. At one point towards the end, um, Leah Barclay a sound artist, academic, environmentalist from Brisbane. She's a part member of the group and she came and gave a presentation and then started organising us to go out on a boat. She brought down a swag of uh, different types of marine recording devices, you know, hydrophones. And we headed out. We are about a kilometre or so offshore. We'd seen dolphins. Anyhow, we got to a point and stopped the boat dropped our mics in and immediately everyone's eyes are just goggling because we're hearing whales. 
girls were about two kilometers away and they were young adolescents. There was a lot of other sound. There was the water slapping up against the bottom of the boat. But nevertheless, I got these recordings of these young humpbacks. At the end of that extinction show that we were in, and it was on the day of remembrance of lost species, the end of 30th mm. of November, performance day that you'd organized. I worked with the whale sounds. I had sounds of bees that I'd got from Table Forest, Brian Doherty and Jane Richens' place. And I, on this field trip, I'd also recorded the uh, very beautiful regent honey eater which is a threatened species. So I had those three recordings and worked with those as individual sound files and kind of made them put, they performed within the space. And I loved doing that. You know, it was a bit fumbly trying to lower that first speaker. The pulley system got stuck. I was trying to lower it from up high so I could swing the bees through the space the rolling whale sound in the big drum on this concrete floor and then the honey eaters sort of carrying that little speaker to each person's ear and then taking those sounds right up the top and out of sight until they stopped. I loved doing that. The sounds really drove that, you know, those, it felt like those creatures were embodied. Thank you. 
You can read more about Virginia's work with sound, film, drawing and other aspects of her art practice at virginiahilliard.com. And the Sonic Sketchbook's episode guide, including links to some of the projects mentioned by Virginia, is at sonicsketchbooks.net. Sonic Sketchbooks is supported by the New South Wales Government through a small projects grant from Create New South Wales. <laughs>